The Vape Passion Show, episode 17. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I hope you all had a good weekend. I had a really good weekend actually. Um, on Saturday I went to a local Summerfest type event where they had a lot of booths, they had a car show, they had a, a dog distance jumping competition where the dog would jump into the swimming pool. Um, a lot of kids stuff. My daughter got to ride a little train. That was a lot of fun for her. And then on Sunday, we went to a local farm not far from my house, maybe 10 minutes away. And we got to pet a bunch of goats and some chickens, some turkeys. They had a cow. We didn't pet the cows. They were a little far away. So that was a lot of fun. I, at, at that farm, I also picked up some really good banana bread flavored goat butter. They also had some other flavors like sea salt, campfire, maple cinnamon, I think it was. They were all really, really good. And I'm not a big fan of goat milk or goat cheese. I don't really like that flavor, but the goat butter doesn't taste like goat at all. It was really good, so I picked some of that up. So yeah, it was a good weekend. But anyway, um, if you're subscribed to my YouTube channel, you'll have noticed that I've been publishing at least one video every day of the week, except for on the weekends. And that is my goal moving forward. I, I really want to try and publish at least one video a day. Now for me, that's pretty hard. I don't have a lot of time to do that. It takes a lot of time to record these videos and even longer to edit them but I hope to try and stick with that. I actually don't know if I'm gonna be able to this week because I just haven't had time to record, but I'm really gonna try and get that done. So if you're looking for reviews, subscribe to my channel and you know, hopefully I'll, I'll keep putting them out. All right, so with that said, let's just get right into the news. Before we get started, I wanna mention that this episode is probably gonna be pretty FDA regulation heavy, but I do have a lot of great vaping tips coming up after the FDA stuff. So stay tuned if you wanna hear all that stuff or just skip ahead. If you do skip ahead, I do recommend at least going to kasa.org and following their calls to actions, uh, supporting the HR 2058 if you haven't already, and also the Cole Bishop Amendment. All right, so let's get right into it. Okay, so first I wanna talk about the recent Plumes of Hazard episode. They had guests, special guests, folks from Safada, Kasa, and Not Blowing Smoke. So I learned a lot from this episode and I highly recommend watching it if you haven't, but I'm gonna go through some of the things that I learned from the episode. So I'm just gonna go through my notes here. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice that I changed the location of my monitor so that I'm not looking down at the screen the whole time. So now it's raised up a little higher and it's just right off to the side of the camera. But anyway, so this is for businesses. So this is what businesses can expect. At 90 days from the time the deeming regulations were set, uh, which will be August 8th, at that 90 day mark, Vapor products will effectively be considered tobacco products. That means no sales to minors, no new products will be allowed into the market, and even modifications such as upgrades or firmware updates will not be allowed, even if a product is broken. The FDA will, at that time will start looking at branding, seeing if anything is misleading or anything like that, and age verification will be required. And that, that means not just the little checkbox when you enter a website, you'll actually have to submit your photo ID to the website before they can send you your order. And something else they mentioned is that if you're using USPS, you might have to start looking at different shipping options because USPS isn't so friendly to tobacco products. Now for consumers at the 90 day mark, you can expect 
a lot of products to hit the market because all of these companies manufacturing products are going to want to try and get their products out before that 90 day mark. So unfortunately for us, that means a lot of products that are probably not ready to be on the market. If you thought we were beta testers now, just wait until we get closer to August 8th. Something else that we can expect is to see businesses starting to exit the market. It's not expected to be a whole bunch of businesses exiting the market, but it's going to start and it'll slowly progress from there for the next couple of years. Okay, so as for the PMTA application that all businesses will have to start filling out if they want to get if they want to keep their products on the market everyone is estimating that the cost is really going to be too high and most shops will not be able to afford it not even one application and on top of that there's really no guarantee that an application will be accepted a business might submit the application and spend all that money and then the application can still be denied and then they're out all of that money so a lot of businesses probably aren't going to submit that application now about the hr 2058 bill and the cole bishop amendment Kasa and Safada are recommending that you support both, not either or at this point, but both of them because both of them are important and if one fails, we want the other one to pass. So the thing about HR 2058, that's the one we really want to pass. That one has been in Congress for over a year now and people have been saying that it's dead, but it's not. There have, they've picked up uh, two or three new sponsors just in the last week. So that shows that the bill is not dead and we should be supporting it. Now for the Cole Bishop Amendment, this one is moving faster than HR 2058 simply because it's attached to a must-pass budget bill. Things are looking favorable for it right now, but it can still be attacked and it will be attacked and that amendment might not stick. So it's important that we continue to support that, that amendment. These bills aren't competing with each other, so support both of them. Both serve to move the predicate date from 2007 to this year but the amendment adds further regulations against the industry and prevents innovation so that's unfortunate but that was one of the things that tom cole had to do in order to get bipartisan support he's also the one that put together the hr 2058 bill but that's just him he didn't have bishop who was a democrat it's looking more like the tom cole bishop amendment is going to be the one that passes there has been rumors saying that the amendment if it passes, it's only temporary and will have to be renewed every year or every two years, something like that. Well, Safada says that's not true, that if the amendment passes, it's permanent. So hopefully that's the case. Now, as for rebuildables, rebuildable, rebuildable atomizers, they will no longer be allowed because there's no way to show consistent data of how a device and e-juice will work with the various builds you can put on a rebuildable. So things aren't looking good for that market. Kasa and Safada are saying that the federal government won't seize your products or ban you from using what you already own, but local and state governments can. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to continue to fight local regulations. The FDA can seize anything at any port at any time, but they'll have to know that it's a new product and where it's coming from. As a consumer, it'll probably get to you. But if you're a business and you're ordering in bulk, there's a good chance that it's going to be stopped at the port and you'll never get your shipment. One of the other things the FDA is saying is that they will help small businesses fill out the PMTA application. But what's funny is that the FDA considers a small business to be more than 150 employees or a business who makes more than 5 million per year. So yeah, not really a small business. Real small businesses are not going to get any help here. If you're a business who mixes in your shop, you should start the process of looking for someone to make it for you. You have two years, so you can keep mixing, but you have to mix only the same recipe and must submit your ingredients list by the end of the year. So for you DIYers out there, 
uh, one of the questions you might have is if nicotine base will still be available in, in the US. Kassan and Safada are saying yes, but only for two years. And it appears that might only be available online. Okay, so a lot of people with these regulations out now are starting to talk about loopholes. For example, people are saying things like, well, what if we call it something different? What if we call it a diffuser or, or something like that? Well, we're well beyond calling it something different at this point. It's a tobacco product now and calling it something different just isn't gonna work because it's not really about what it's called, it's about intent. That's what the FDA is looking at. If the intent is to use it in a vaporizer or an electronic cigarette, then it's gonna be regulated as a tobacco product. People have also talked about making nicotine with uh, extracting the nicotine from eggplants and tomatoes or, or something that's not tobacco. Well, that's not gonna work either because then it will be considered a non-approved pharmaceutical and non-approved pharmaceuticals are not allowed to be sold on the market. Kassan Safada are basically saying that we, we need to really stop looking for loopholes and instead focus on changing the regulations. All right, so another question here is for vape shop owners, if you own a vape shop at the two year mark, what happens to your products? Well, any product that hasn't been approved by the FDA at that point will no longer be allowed to be sold. And as for free samples, something that you know, a lot of us find really important when you go to a local brick and mortar shop, you wanna try samples before you buy e-juice. Well, at the 90 day mark, that goes away. At that time on August 8th, there must be a monetary charge for samples. Alex from CASA actually had a really good suggestion saying that vape shops should, you know, charge however much they're gonna charge for samples, a dollar for 20 samples or something like that. And throw that money into a bowl and donate it to advocacy organizations. So I think that's a really great idea and uh, I highly suggest uh, that you tell your local vape shop to do something like that. Okay, so what can people do right now? Well, for businesses, you need to be prepared to support and fund legislation if you wanna stay in this business. You can join your local chamber of commerce and get in touch with congressmen and senators. At the local level, states are using or will use these new regulations to go to town, as Safada has stated. So you need to be ready. Don't ignore local call to actions because that's where it's all gonna start and it's just gonna blow up from there. Um, now as for consumers, what you can do is join CASA and take action on the call to actions that they send out in their emails. You should also support only businesses who are supporting advocacy efforts. And if your local vape shop isn't supporting advo advocacy, don't give them your money. So yeah, that was a really good episode of Plumes of Hazard. Okay, so something else you can do right now, CASA sent out a an, an call to action list last week um, asking us to support an online petition. So this isn't just your typical whitehouse.org petition. This one is actually on LarryWFaircloth.com. He is a state representative in West Virginia. Casa says that this is an online petition worth signing because uh, Larry Faircloth has proven himself as a valuable and effective advocate for vapor products in West Virginia and the letter will be delivered to influential elected officials. They need at least 100,000 signatures to send this. I have no idea how many signatures are on it right now, but definitely go do that. And another call to action from CASA is that, well, this one is for Minnesota. So if you live in Minnesota, this is important to you. The government is proposing a 30 cent per milliliter tax, and that's on top of the 95% wholesale tax on nicotine. The, the price is gonna go way up. And the amendment will also consider all devices and hardware in the state as a tobacco product. So very important that you fight against that one. And also in some, in some good news, uh, Ron Johnson, he works with the Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. So he sent a letter to Dr. Califf, 
Dr. Robert Califf of the FDA, and he mentioned that the Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs is examining the regulatory burdens that F federal agencies are placing on small businesses. So he writes to Dr. Robert Califf, and says, the regulations require e-cigarette manufacturers to submit pre-market applications to the FDA in order to obtain federal approval for their products. According to recent reports, the new requirements would force e-cigarette companies to complete a burdensome and costly application process. Some manufacturers could spend more than 5,000 hours to complete an application with a minimum cost of $330,000 per e-cigarette product according to some estimates. As a result of these expensive and time-consuming applications, many e-cigarette manufacturers, most of which are reportedly small businesses, could close down. He also says, in its regulatory analysis, the FDA itself acknowledged that the cost of the rule would be high enough to expect additional product exit, consolidation, and reduction in variety compared with the baseline. Unfortunately, the FDA's attempt to improve the public's health by scrutinizing the e-cigarette industry could ultimately result in negative unintended health consequences. It'll stifle innovation, make it harder for e-cigarette companies to continue offer products that serve as an alternative to smoking, and some consumers will resort to traditional cigarettes without having access to cost-effective alternatives. So he says, the final rule notes that the FDA does not currently have sufficient data about e-cigarettes and similar products to determine what effects they have on public health. So his question to that is, will the FDA issue a revised rule if there is sufficient data that finds that e-cigarettes are a safer alternative to tra traditional cigarettes? Please explain. And how is the FDA's regulation of e-cigarettes not a premature restriction on an industry given the FDA's admission that it does not have sufficient data about e-cigarettes to determine the effects on public health? Another one here. Some stakeholders claim that the FDA's rule on e-cigarettes will stifle innovation and result in closure of many small businesses. Did the FDA determine how many e-cigarette businesses will be affected by the rule? If not, why? If so, please provide that data. Of the e-cig businesses that will be affected by the rule, how many of those businesses does the FDA predict will exit the market as a result of the new requirements? And number three, has the FDA considered the unintended consequences if decreased access to e-cigarettes leads to increased consumption of traditional cigarette and tobacco products? Please explain. And then he closes it out with, please provide this material as soon as possible, but no later than 5 p.m. on May 31st, 2016. So this is great, and I can't wait to hear the response from Dr. Califf. And in some more great news, Sevia USA has announced three new members. That would be Heaven Gifts, iJoy, and Sense. And this is in addition to the already current members, the big guys, Inakin, Aspire, Kanger, and Smoke. If you don't know what Sevia is, they are the Shenzhen Electronic Vapor Industry Association. So these are big Chinese companies supporting our advocacy efforts in the US. And the American E-Liquid Manufacturing Standards Association, they've hired a lobbying firm. They are called the FGA Group. So good news there. And a second company is now suing the FDA. That's Lost Art Liquids. They just filed a lawsuit on May 19th, and their suit challenges FDA's purported authority to deem and regulate e-liquids and other vapor products as tobacco products. They assert claims against the FDA for violations of the Regulatory Flexibility Act, the First and Fifth Amendments, and the Administrative Procedures Act. They're alleging that the FDA's regulations of vapor products is illegal in that it exceeds the very limited and specific scope of authority the Congress granted to the FDA to regulate tobacco products. And so with all that said, if none of this advocacy helps and none of these lawsuits helps, Aspire claims that they will be here to stay. They published a post on their blog saying that they're ready to fully comply. They also mentioned some of the prices of the PMTA application, so they do understand the cost involved. They mentioned that the minimum cost for just having the e-juice application is four flavors times three nicotine levels, which equals 12 applications times $330,000. That equals 
$3,960,000. They say they're ready to pay that, I guess. That doesn't include things like accessories, such as 18650 batteries, coil replacements, and, and whatever else. And then on top of all that, there's lawyer fees, testing fees, and so on. So they're estimating a cost of more than $500,000 per application. They are part of Sevia, and they do support HR 2058, so I do believe that they're a company worth supporting. And it's good to know that if we're not left with much by the end of this, at least we do have a big company like Aspire. Okay, and lastly for the FDA news stuff, the FDA just announced that they're going to put on tobacco compliance webinars. They already have quite a few of them up online, but they'll be doing some live Q&A soon. These webinars are designed to help tobacco retailers, importers, and manufacturers better understand the agency's regulatory authority. And they say that these webinars will help teach the steps that shops need to take to comply with the rules requirements for marketing and sale of tobacco products. Some of the webinars they have up already are about new regulatory re requirements for vape shops, new regulatory requirements for tobacco manufacturers and importers, and new regulatory requirements for tobacco retailers. I have already watched the one for vape shops and it really wasn't useful at all. The guy was pretty much just reading slides. So it's, it's stuff that we already know or that we can already find somewhere else better explained. But what I do find useful here is that they are going to do a live Q&A, a couple of live Q&As, one specifically for vape shops soon. They haven't announced a date yet, but they have stated that they will be answering questions. You can expect them there to be a lot of questions. So if you have one, you should submit it because they are taking questions by email. So if you have a question you want to ask them, you can send it to askctp at fda.hhs Gov. Okay, now that's all I got for the FDA stuff. So let's move on to something else. Let's talk about new products. Um, everyone right now is talking about the Segeli 213. I haven't tried it myself, but all the reviewers are saying it's great and I would love one, but they're pretty expensive, at least for me. Uh, I've seen them around $120, $100 to $120, but I found them for only $79.95 on vapenw.com that comes with LG batteries. And I also see that vaportechusa.com, that's tech, T-E-K, they're selling the Segeli 213 Fuchai for $49.99. So Vaportech, they claim that the only difference between the Fuchai 213 and the gold or carbon 213 is the outer casing, so different metals, but all the other specs are the same. Uh, that's mostly true, but from what I found with some of my research is that the Fuchai actually uses a different type of temperature control. They use Celsius, and the new Segeli 213, the carbon gold version, uses Fahrenheit temperature control. And a lot of people are saying that the Celsius version, the Fuchai, isn't working very good but it's only $49.99. So if you want a Segeli 213 and you're okay with maybe a lower quality temperature control, get that one, it's only 50 bucks. You know, that's really cheap. And a lot of people are actually saying that the Fuchai version temperature control works fine. So I don't know. Segeli actually put out this video explaining the differences between the Segeli 213 and the Fuchai 213. And uh, according to all this confusing math on their video, they appear to mostly work the same. And one other product I want to talk about is the Theorem. This RTA has been really popular. It's a Genesis style RTA. So the deck sits above the e-juice chamber and it uses these new notch coils everyone's talking about. Some people love the notch coils, some people don't. I saw that Grim Green mentioned that he likes the, the flavor that he gets from them, but he hates, he hates installing the coils because the leads break all the time. I actually haven't used them myself, 
but they look really cool and I hope to, to buy a pack of them just to use in another RDA. But anyway, what's happening is that the glass seems to be breaking for everyone. It seems to be really weak. A lot of people are even finding cracks in the glass before they even open the box. If you do have a theorem tank or if you do plan on buying one, know that you, you're probably going to have to buy some backup glass because the one you have is probably going to break. People are saying that it seems to be really thin and it's not able to handle high heat and that it's getting so hot that you can't even touch the glass. One person here on Reddit says that anything other than a notch coil, the theorem just can't handle the heat and that's probably making the glass weak and why it's breaking. So if you do need some replacement glass, Fastech has the glass for only $1.25 so you can buy a whole bunch of them for really cheap. And someone also mentioned that the Griffin 22mm glass fits if you take the airflow control off the theorem. So despite the, the glass being poor quality, people are still saying that they really love this tank. They're saying it's a really well done Genesis atomizer and it works great. So it sounds like even though the glass sucks, it's still a device worth buying. Let's continue talking about some other stuff. So really good news for the UK. Planet of the Vapes released an article titled Breaking news, House of Lords vote could defeat UK TPD. Lord Callanan, who I guess is a, a pretty big politician in the UK, has put down a motion which, if passed, will stop impl implementation of the TPD in the UK. He's moving that the TPD be annulled on the grounds that its restrictions on product choice and advertising of vaping devices were devised before evidence had accumulated that vaping was enabling many people to quit smoking. He says that the TPD restrictions are so severe that they could force vapors back to smoking and create a black market with harmful products. Counter to the advice from the Royal College of Physicians to promote vaping. So the House of Lords, which I, I don't know, I guess they're like Congress in the UK. I'm not really familiar with that, but they have until June 10th to vote against this delegated legislation. And it's looking positive because the Lords are already strongly against the TPD rules on vaping. And the health minister has even told the Lords that he hopes enforcement of the TPD regulations will be lax. And on top of that, the shadow minister has stated that he could not understand why e-cigarettes were included in the TPD. So it looks really great for the UK there. And hopefully that all goes through. What Planet of the Vapes is saying is that it's now more important than ever to make as much noise as you possibly can. So if you're in the UK, uh, what you can do today is to send your support. Use the hashtag LordsVapeVote to at number 10 gov, at Jeremy Corbin, and at Martin Callanan. I'll have those in the show notes because you're probably not going to spell those correctly unless you know who those people are. And there's also a petition that you should sign. You'll find that link on the Planet of the Vapes page where this is all mentioned, and that will be in the show notes so you can find it. So really good news. And could you imagine if that, if the TPD was annulled, what that would say to the world about vaping. I think that would look really good for all of us. All right, this next one is a post I found on Reddit. They're asking Netflix to add a billion lives. I thought this was a really cool idea because Netflix, I guess, takes suggestions and it's really simple. People in the throughout this Reddit thread have said, have shown their transcripts showing how easy it is. You, you pretty much just contact Netflix support through your account, just ask them to add it and the Netflix employee says that they'll relay the information back to whatever team handles those requests. You can also call them if that's what you would prefer. One thing that I saw in this thread that was mentioned here is that this person, oh, it's Anya Rekla, so it's DIY or die. He says that he remembers Biebert, the creator of the documentary, saying in an interview that he really didn't want to go to Netflix because it doesn't make nearly as much money against a traditional route. And he also mentioned that he, if he remembers correctly, Biebert said that if it goes to Netflix, less people would see it. 
Maybe he knows more than we do about the numbers. So I looked into this a little bit myself, and I found a post from filmmakingstuff.com talking about selling a movie to Netflix. They mentioned that the majority of Netflix deals still happen the traditional way. A filmmaker finds a distributor. The distributor no negotiates a deal with Netflix, and then the filmmaker gets paid a licensing fee for one or two years. So they don't get paid per view. That's the problem. Any other network, like Amazon, uh, iTunes, or whoever else, they pay per view. So a filmmaker will make a lot more money that way. And it's also really hard to get on any of these networks, really. You have to be working with a distributor. I did find that there's an aggregator named distribur.com who filmmakers can work with to do this, but it'll set them back like $1,500, $1,200, $1,500, something like that, which to me sounds worth it if, you're, if you have a good enough film that's gonna make that money back. From what I'm seeing in some of these articles that I was reading, what people should be doing to get more views is to try and get on all of these networks, and Distribur can do that. Um, what I don't know, and what Biebert might know is that maybe things have changed since these articles were written and maybe Netflix requires a contract. I don't know. Maybe you can only show your film on Netflix and not a, the other places. So maybe it's something like that. I don't know. I would think that it would be good to get on all of them. But yeah, he's probably put a lot of time and money into it, so I'm sure he wants to make a lot of that back. Personally, I'm going to ask Netflix to, to show it or to start carrying it because I would love to watch it on Netflix. That's the service I watch. So that would be really cool. Okay, so moving on. 8-Bit Vape, their UK-based e-juice company, they've decided to close up shop because of the TPD regulations. And because of that, they've released the recipes for all of their e-juices. If you look at some of their, their recipes, you'll see that they're very, very basic. And I think it just goes to show you how easy it is to make DIY e-juice. If you look for reviews of 8-Bit Vape, they have pretty much all positive reviews. So people like their e-juices. And if you look at them, some of these recipes, they're like single flavors. For example, their juicy strawberry e-juice is just strawberry concentrate. The raspberry e-juice is just one ingredient. It's raspberry concentrate. They have some more complicated ones in here, but for the most part, they're pretty basic. But I still think that's really cool of them to share it. And I also think it's good to share with everybody because it shows how easy it is to make DIY e-juice if that's something we have to resort to uh, with these deeming regulations from the FDA. All right, this next one I came across is called the Vape Database or the VapeDB.com. So I guess, I guess these guys have been around for a while or at least a year or two now. I've never heard of them, but it's really cool. If you're a fan of review sites like All the Juice or JuiceDB.com, this is like those sites except for devices. And it looks like they actually have a, a pretty up-to-date database. People are leaving reviews. It's not as big as JuiceDB.com, but people are using it. They have a review system that allows each item in the database to have multiple reviews, so everyone could submit a review of a device if they own it. And they don't just list standard product listings. They're, they're looking for data that's hard to find. For example, O-ring sizes, post screw sizes, fill screw sizes, thread sizes, and that sort of thing. Everything on the website can be compared to other devices, although that doesn't mean that everything is compared, it just means that it can be compared. So if you wanna submit a review and compare a device to something similar, you can do that. Really cool resource if you're thinking about buying something or comparing it to something else that you already own. All right, this next one is another thread I came across on Reddit. This person is asking, what vape shops have reward programs because like all of us he buys e-juices regularly so he wants to find a website that he likes to buy e-juice from who has a rewards program so he can keep buying from them and get good deals in the future there are a few mentioned here not not a lot of people responded to this one but the few mentioned are giantvapes.com mountainbakervapor.com and skyline vapor 
And I also know that VapeWild has a rewards program. And really it's about as easy as going to Google and searching for eJuice reward program. I came across a few other ones here, premiumeliquid.com, vapeandapes.com, fugginvapor.com. And a lot of those guys, they carry eJuice from not just themselves, but from other premium brands. So yeah, I think that's a, a good idea. If you're looking to save some money and get some free e-juice, free e keep buying from one shop with a rewards program and build up those points. Okay, so here's another one from Reddit. This one is asking for a list of low sweetener gunk-free e-juice. The person who created this thread says that he's come to realize that he can't handle the hassle that comes with overly sweetened e-juices anymore, and that he's dealt with e-juices so sweet that his coils are gunked up beyond use after only four or five puffs. He's asking the community to collaborate here to put together a list of juices that have as little sweetener as possible in them. And one of the top comments here is that there already is a list. It's a spreadsheet on Google Docs, and there are at least 62 brands listed here that are entirely free of artificial sweeteners. Some big ones in here too, like Blue Dot Vapors, Cloud Alchemist, Five Ponds, Mitten Vapors, The Mad Alchemist, Vape Juice, Velvet Cloud, Vista Vapors. So some good stuff. If you look through this thread, you'll also see that there are other ones in here too. And I'll link to all that in the show notes if, if that's something you're interested in. All right, this next one is a, a post on eliquidrecipes.com. This one is titled, Hidden Science But behind normal and accelerated e-liquid steeping. So this post really just goes into the whole process of steeping and how it works. This is kind of nerding out on e-juice steeping, but it's really helpful actually. So the author of the post, Uncle Joe, he mentions that there are two major processes involved in steeping e-liquid. One is the removal of volatile components by evaporation and degasification. This includes the removal of alcohol, but not restricted only to alcohol because there are other volatile components used in the production of concentrates that generally give off an astringent or chemical odor. So if you've ever noticed that one of the e-juices you're vaping on tastes a little chemical, it might need to be steeped. The process of evaporation and degasification requires access to the atmosphere, which is the reason why we remove the tops from the bottles. Both of those processes can be accelerated by heat and increased surface area. So the second major process is the development of complex flavor molecules. So some e-liquids, especially custards or caramel or dessert flavors, darken over time. This is because of something called Maillard reaction, and this is caused by varying temperatures or de uh, degrees of heat. Usually it happens at higher heat, generally above 285 degrees Fahrenheit, but it can happen at lower temperatures as well. Some examples of what Maillard reaction is would be like the browning of bread or toast or potato chips at high temperatures. And the Maillard reaction, it gets slower as it progresses. So you might notice this with, when you're steeping e-liquid because a golden color might be observed in a couple of days but then the full desired flavor and color might take up to four to six weeks to, to develop. So as for accelerating the steeping process, here are step-by-step -step directions. So take the top off the bottle because evaporation and decalcification just won't happen with the lid on. Um, shake the, shaking the bottle helps. Stirring helps. Whisking is very effective. Blending to a foam is super effective. And ultrasonic degasification is also super effective. If you can heat your e-juice to 40 to 50 degrees Celsius, it accelerates all of the above methods. He shows a picture here of an e-juice that he made immediately after mixing. You can see in the first picture that it's um, pretty clear. It's not see-through, but it's white. And after he mixed it, five hours later, the e-juice got very dark. Not like black dark, but like bright red. He mentions that this e-juice was very vapable even the next day and continues to improve in the bottle. If you want to stop the steeping process, say for example you have it to exactly where you want it and you don't want it to keep going and um, maybe moving to a point where you don't like the e-juice anymore, 
You can slow the process by refrigeration, but you don't want to freeze it. Some other notes here that some top note flavors can be lost through aggressive evaporation. Heating some flavors might introduce an unwanted cooked flavor. Full-blown blending is impractical for quantities of less than 100 milliliters. And really, if you want a perfectly steeped e-liquid, the best way to do it and most predictable way of doing it is just to keep the lid off in a dark place with a and shaking it up every now and then. But obviously, it takes a lot longer that way. So great tips there on steeping your e-juice. All right, and here's another thread on Reddit. This one is titled, Having Trouble Wicking Your RDA? I made a step-by-step -step guide on getting maximum wicking speed and flavor. I think this guide is very, very basic. It's basically the process of taking the cotton out of your, your coils, dry firing them until they get hot so it burns all the gunk off, and then rolling up some cotton and re-wicking it. So if you're a newer vapor, uh, go check this out. It'll probably speed up the time it takes for you to wick an RDA. But something I wanted to mention here is there is a really good comment. This guy mentioned that if you have an ultrasonic cleaner, what you should do is after you pull out the old wick, get your coils red hot, then let them cool, and then throw the RDA and the coils still attached into your ultrasonic cleaner and for a few minutes, and then everything comes out sparkling clean. That's something I've never done before, and I think it's a really cool idea. He says it's particularly useful for coils like Clapton's and Twisted Coils. All right, and this last tip that I have for you is a video I came across on YouTube. So if you're listening to the podcast, obviously you're gonna have to check the show notes to see it. But it's called the perfect Clapton coil that builds or wraps itself. So this is a really cool tip. Um, I haven't actually made Clapton coils myself before, but I'm probably going to, I know I will eventually, I just need to get the time to do it. But the way this works, he has the coil wire attached to the drill, and on the other end it's wrapped around some swivels, just like anyone makes uh, Clapton coils. But what he does is where the coil starts wrapping, where the one wire wraps around the other, he attaches it with like a clip that has ridges on it, one of those plastic clips you would use to close a, a potato chip bag. And what it does with those ridges in the clip, it pinches the coil wires together, and you just you pull the trigger on the drill and it wraps itself. It just goes around and it goes down the line. So from what I can tell from the video and from the comments in the video, it works and it's really easy and fast. So if you've been looking to get into more advanced coil building, look for that video and try it out. Okay, so that's all I have for you this week. You'll find the show notes to everything I mentioned here on my website, vapepassion.com. You can follow me on Twitter at vapepassion and I'm also on Facebook. You can follow me in either of those places if you wanna get a, a little head start on uh, some of the topics that I talk about on this show. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can also catch this in podcast form. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you're listening to this in podcast form, you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel where I publish this so that you can see this with all my video examples. So yeah, that's gonna do it. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at alex at vapepassion.com and I hope to see you back again next week.